Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio, another true story from True Story FM. I'm your host, Megan Strand with Engage for Good. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com. I'm so excited to be joined today by two of my very favorite human beings that both happen to work for Children's Miracle Network Hospitals, Clark Sweat and Maureen Carlson. Clark is EVP and COO, and Maureen is Chief Programs and Marketing Officer at Children's Miracle Network Hospitals, and they are both supremely talented at what they do, which we'll talk about here in just a moment. Clark, Maureen, and I also talk about pivoting 100% of their corporate partners during the pandemic, which is no small feat, how they achieve that, and how they're working to diversify their engagement with corporate partners moving forward. Clark and Maureen also share what they've each personally learned through the pandemic and what they're optimistic about moving forward. You're really going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Clark and Maureen. Clark Sweat and Maureen Carlson, welcome back to Cause Talk Radio. Hello. Thanks, Megan. It's great to be here. Hello, hello. Got both of you. You guys are both return guests. It's so awesome to have you on. Although I'm sure there are probably four people listening that might not know who you are and what you do at Children's Miracle Network Hospital. So Clark, would you tell us first who you are and what you do? And then we'll ask Maureen to do the same. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. So I'm Clark Sweat. I'm the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer for CMN Hospitals. And uh, I have a lot of different hats, but I primarily oversee our big fundraising campaign with our corporate initiatives, uh, doing some work with our outreach and communities, a lot of work with our individual hospitals. And then I've recently acquired things like legal and human resources and a few other areas, which is Fun. somewhat new to me in the last six months. Is there anything you don't do? Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff I don't do. And that's why we have Maureen. <laughs> and that's why Maureen's here. Well. She does the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Maureen, who are you and what do you do at CMN Hospitals? Okay. I am Maureen Carlson and I am a fancy title of Chief Programs and Marketing Officer, which really means the latter part, which most people understand, marketing and communications and creating which direction we're going to go and how we're going to show up in the world from that perspective. But programs is a little bit different. Clark and I, like he still oversees a lot of the revenue streams and I'm overseeing sort of those programs too, but how are we going to take them to the next level and ideate around sort of the next iteration of stuff? So it's, I would say we have to work together almost every day on every aspect in order for uh, things to work at CMN hospitals, which really is pretty cool to sit around sort of with another chief and have to be so embedded and integrated integrated together that, um, you know, I think it just makes things flow better. But anyway, so it's, we can be confusing our titles about what we do. <laughs> Clark does the bulk of everything as you can no, from no, that no. very massive title. Um, and I try to hang in there with him and help out. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad we I have both of you here today so we can go full circle here. So um, it has very clearly been a very long, very hard year. Would you take us back a year ago to when this pandemic hit? And what was the impact to your relationships with your corporate partners? What sorts of conversations were you having with them initially when this first all happened? Yeah, so I can jump in on that one. And, you know, initially, when and we were like everybody else. We weren't sure exactly what the future was going to hold. We were 
I'm concerned for our staff. We were concerned for our staff. We were concerned for our hospitals. And I think more importantly, uh, in, in many instances, we were really concerned for our individual corporate partners. We weren't sure how it was going to impact their business. We weren't sure how it was going to impact their employees. And um, I, I think what really uh, the approach that we took early on was we made the decision that Look, we had we had fundraising campaigns that we knew were going to be postponed. We we knew that fundraising wasn't going to happen like it normally did last year. Uh, but our partners have been with us. Many of them have been with us 20, 25, 30 years. So they're not transactional relationships. They are they're true partnerships. And I think we went out there first and foremost, um, caring for the people in, involved in those companies, wanting to make sure they were safe, wanting to make sure their their employees were safe. And we said to him, look, you're a great partner of ours, and we know eventually we'll, there'll be a time for us to talk about how fundraising is going to come back. But in the early months, or at least for the first month, that wasn't the right time to be talking about rescheduling fundraising campaigns. And so um, I think that's what resulted in the fact that we we kept 100% of our partners last year, which um, was, was really, I mean, that was our goal, and it, it was surprising to us, though. And we felt quite proud that our partners felt so passionately about our cause and about the relationship with us that they didn't want to let us down. So they rescheduled and, and we actually had a really good year. I think, you know, charities that did not weren't in the hunger space, for example, may have had some challenges last year because while your mission is critical, it may not have been front and center of people's minds during the pandemic. So what was the message that you created to keep the importance of surveying sick and injured kids top of mind for employees, for consumers, for your corporate partners? And how did you communicate that to your corporate partners and all of the people that they touch with the campaigns that they run for you? That's interesting. That's a great question in terms of sort of what was the validity or the need of the cause when when other things seemed so basic and seemed so necessary to tackle in COVID. Um, you know, our hospitals were hurting. They were really hurting overall, whether they were a freestanding hospital or part of a bigger system. Um, as everything shut down, like like the rest of the world, they they couldn't see patients, kids that needed ongoing care. I mean, there's ER sort of things, and there's those things that happen in a couple weeks for a child, but then there's those disease in the in those instances and those predicaments where you need this ongoing care. And how do we get those children in the door? How do we help with the the adult side that is seeing an influx of people? How does the staff pull over and the nurses pull over to help? So it was, you know obviously such an interesting time. And we still are so amazed at the, just how heroic everybody was in the children's hospitals and the entire hospital space. But we knew we had to pivot a little bit in messaging. And so we really moved to something around, hey, kids can't wait. And that was really what our mantra was. Clark can talk in a minute about how we delivered that to the partners and how they reacted to it. Um, But we really went with that. They can't wait for a pandemic to end. They can't wait for, you know, a check in the mail to help. They can't wait to see their doctor. So we really leaned in that whole idea of kids can't wait. Please don't forget that. They can't during this whole thing. Um, even though it's important to make sure that we're feeding children and doing all those things that seemed like really necessities in the moment, our kids can't wait and they need your help and they need your ongoing support. So we pivoted all integrated marketing and communications across every channel 
including point of sale and, you know, social channels a- advertising, which we really don't do, but um, website, we just pivoted to that creative. And we think it was really strong. We didn't A-B test it. We have sense and it is strong in the marketplace, <laughs> but we just ran with it as fast as we could. And then Clark's team got it to the corporate partners. And you can talk a little bit, Clark, if you want to, about sort of how you communicated that and then their reaction to it, which I think has been pretty positive. It, it, it will be an ongoing mantra. That's how positive it was. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, one thing that was really interesting is, uh, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I've been with the organization for 25 plus years. And I thought I kind of knew how children's hospitals worked. And, and you know, I've, I've worked really closely with a lot of those corporate partners for 25 years. And I felt like they knew how children's hospitals work. But we quickly found out that um, we didn't know as much as we thought we did. Uh, we, we did a series and Maureen just rejoined the organization as a member of the executive team about the same time. And uh, we, we did a series of phone calls out with the CEOs and chief development officers of all of our hospitals. And we asked them kind of what they were experiencing. And if you remember, um, back in those early days, they started saying things like, we're no longer going to do elective surgeries. Um, and we're thinking as a children's hospital, well, there's no such, no such thing as an elective surgery for a children's hospital. Not the case at all. If it wasn't life-threatening, then those surgeries weren't happening. And that has a huge ripple effect on um, the kids, the families, the doctors, the, the practitioners. And we had to go back and explain to our corporate partners what it meant to have an elective or a non-essential surgery at a children's hospital. Uh, and quite honestly, it's just a really poor phrase that they choose to use for those types of surgeries because they are essential and they aren't elective. But um, we had to re-educate them. And our corporate partners were, were fabulous. Many of them came to us initially because in those early days, the, the news was saying, well, this is an old person's disease. It's really hitting nursing homes. It's really hitting the older population. But not so much the case. You know, we learned over time that, that it was impacting younger families. It was impacting kids. And uh, we spent last year really re-educating all of our corporate partners. And honestly, I view it as one of the silver linings that came out of this whole thing is those corporate partners now have a much deeper understanding. And so do we as an organization have a much deeper understanding of what's really happening in local markets. You know, I definitely remember hearing stories of people that were going through cancer treatments that couldn't get the treatments when the pandemic hit. But to have that be a child, you know, in a children's hospital, I just the the message that you came up with that kids can't wait, I think is just so poignant and meaningful. So point of sale fundraising, you just referred to Maureen a few minutes ago. It's kind of the bread and butter of your corporate partnerships. You guys do a real good job with it. Can you talk a little bit about how you were able to pivot those point of sale programs during COVID when so many retailers were so dramatically impacted? Many of them were closed. Um, what pivots did you make? How did you adapt those campaigns? What were some of the silver linings there? Yeah, you know, there's um, there's a lot of things that happened last year that kind of looked like we just kind of pulled them out of the hat and ran with them. Things like shifting to Roundup, things like changing the employee engagement, moving away from miracle balloons in some instances. Uh, but really, some of those things we've been talking about for years. You know, we'd been really talking about Roundup and we had some really good success with Roundup with other partners and we'd been pushing it for a while. Uh, but with the um, with COVID, we had to adapt and we had to change. So suddenly, a lot of our corporate partners who had heard us talking about these different ways to engage embraced them. And they said, look, we've got to do things differently. So yeah, let's try Roundup. Let's try raising money online. Let's try you know doing some new and, and different things. 
It certainly did not help us that there was a national chain shortage uh, May, June, July of last year. And I was blown away with our corporate partners who very quickly changed their computer systems. They updated their asks to their cashiers. They, they did a lot of behind-the-scenes work to make Roundup seem very seamless. And uh, those campaigns thrived. I mean, those them campaigns did better than they had done in, in many, many years. So one of our largest partners, Walmart, I mean, they adopted Roundup and they had a I'm totally blanking on the percentage, but I want to say it was around a 15% increase year over year. Uh, and they did that while their cashiers were separated from the customers with plexiglass and everybody was wearing masks. And yet they still were able to use that technology to see some pretty amazing fundraising increases. And we're learning that's another silver lining. I mean, that is something that's continuing this year. And we're seeing some just fabulous results this year that has us uh, raising money above 2019 levels. So we're not just exponential over 2020, but we're doing better than we did in 2019, which was the best year we ever had in the history of the organization. You know, what's interesting that I think in terms of point of sale, so Clark's team does amazing relationship building. Like it is all about the relationship with that partner and has been doing it to his point. He said earlier for decades. So for lots of those last year, what, five or six or seven, Clark, we've been asking them to move to a omni-channel. So not just point of sale at a manned register, but how do we get at the curbside pickup? And how do we get in the e-commerce? And how do we get at the self-checkouts? And, you know, lots of conversations because we knew that's sort of what we wanted, but we had to listen. That might not have been the right time for them. It might not have been the right initiative, it, you know. And so it, I, I don't still don't know why, maybe Clark does, but for whatever reason, that conversation happened very accelerated in some of the major partners. And all of a sudden, we've got campaigns in 2019 saying, okay, well, we won't just at, at the manned register. We will move to the self-checkouts and we'll reprogram there really quickly. We will get you in the e-commerce spin. We'll get you at the mobile app so that we can do the curbside pickup. And it was, you know, some of the partners that did it, uh, big, big, big results, right? Because it was sort of anywhere you could shop, whether it was in person or not, you were getting asked um, asked for a donation. But the other thing that it did was, you know, we certainly, Clark particularly, talked about it with to the other partners as a case study. And so now we're seeing this rolling sort of, you know, whether the shopping shoppers are coming back or whether they're not, that team, his team has done a phenomenal job in sort of trying to figure out how to move across those digital channels um, we're having the conversation before, but accelerated it quickly. And I think it's, you know, it's obviously where everybody wants to go, but I think the future is bright at point of sale when you diversify, not just in the manned physical space and they're doing a great job at it. Oh, thanks. Uh, I appreciate those comments, Maureen. And I, I, I really do. I'll go back to what I said right at the very beginning about how we, how we approached our partners, um, with those early conversations. I, I think the reason why they, they were able to adapt and quickly embrace new ideas is because quite honestly, they just appreciated the relationship. You know I mean? Again, it goes back to us genuinely caring about the, the people that we work with, the companies that we work with. Um, and they look, they knew that um, if we lost the revenue from their organization, it was really going to let us down as an organization. And they don't want to let us down any more than we want to let them down. And so when it came time to, have those conversations around fundraising, they were completely receptive. How else did you work with corporate partners to diversify your fundraising tactics throughout the pandemic? And what would you say the results were of those efforts? 
I would say first and foremost, and and you're going to hear us being really repetitive, we listened. I mean, we know what if we could diversify and change things and create many streams of income coming from a corporate partner, we know that that's a good thing in terms of fundraising, but it just might not be good for them at the moment, or it might not be the best time, or maybe it's a great time for this partner, but not for that. I think a lot of times when I look at corporate partnerships, sort of the nonprofit decides we need to get employee engagement going or we need to get employee. But and then that's the big mantra with the partners. But we don't really approach it that way. Clark's team really listens and has conversations about what's going on. What are you hearing? What pressures are you hearing? Are you get do you need different measurement from us against ESG goals? Are you getting pressured for that? And And in those conversations and really listening is when there's opportunities to say, okay, could you also maybe do a vendor campaign? Is it the right time for that? Could we maybe do, is that going to end up being a golf campaign? Could you maybe consider that? Um, Could we do some sort of cause marketing and introduce us to vendors and maybe having vendors doing some stuff on PAC that maybe you're promoting? Could we do employee engagement? And if so, what does that look like? And could we spill over into employee giving? Is it time for that? Is it time for So we really know the things that work, right? Could we move to the omni-channel and not only get an ask at the man register, but maybe in e-commerce? We all kind of know the things that work with the partners, and the, but it really is about, I think, and then Clark, you can talk about anything else that we might have diversified in that you think was a really strong sort of outcome from COVID, but it really is about, it, let's just talk to them because every partner is different. It's a different time. They're feeling different pressures. And so... Um, what can we get you? Can we get you some content? Can we get you some information? What do you need from us? And that's really how we try to approach it. I think that's why the relationships are so strong, no matter what's happening in the marketplace. Yeah, I think that's spot on. And I, I think, um, you know, the way Marie mentioned this kind of early on, we are structured a little differently in that how we divide revenue and programs and how we work together. And, you know, the reality is we've got a lot of really good people on the customer side or the donor side who are out there listening firsthand and hearing the challenges. And then Maureen's built a really solid, uh, amazing team who is taking all of that feedback and and then being able to group it and say, all right, we need to we need to work on this or we need to work on, we need to test QR codes. We need to enhance the employee engagement through some type of technology. And so because we have them kind of set up the way we are, Maureen's able to use her expertise in storytelling and her expertise in this program ideation and coming up with the next version of what it is we're going to do. Uh, and it's it's allowing us to work really, really well together and, and come up with ideas that, um, you know, we can go back to our partners with solutions that solve a problem for them, make them look good uh, internally, make them look good to their boss, make their life easier and those are all the things that really stemmed in, into a great relationship, right? So um, I, I think that uh, the way we've kind of divided it, it's, it's working quite well. What a team. What there a team. you go. It helps that we've known each other for years. That does very help, you. That, that greatly yes. helps. You know? Even though we're both only about 25, 26. Is that right, Clark? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. No comment, Maureen. No comment. <laughs> Well, when you look back, I would love to hear just from each of you what you personally feel like you learned throughout the course of the pandemic from a professional standpoint. Um, You know, when you have had some time to reflect, what would you say are the greatest things that stand out to you? 
Well, you put a caveat on there from a professional experience. I was going to say that I learned I was going I learned that I don't need to wear shoes every day because I can I can just be comfortable and and you know don't have to leave my house very often. I'm literally barefoot right now, so yeah. I'm on that, <laughs> I'm on that bandwagon, Clark. I um I, I think uh, in all seriousness, I, I think though that I mean I've I've traveled 100 to 120 days a year in this job for as long as I've ever ever been in it. And I think what I've learned pretty resoundingly is that I don't need to travel as much as I used to. Um, I still think we're missing out on some personal connections. I know we're missing out on uh, deepening some relationships, but, um, you know, I would have never guessed that we would be able to conduct business as seamlessly as we did without putting a single person on an airplane and not going to any um, face-to-face meetings. So I think we're we're feeling a little bit of... Um, I won't call it burnout, but maybe it is uh, of people who are, are anxious to get back out there because, you know, really everybody on our team is they're they're relationship focused people. And it's hard to maintain good, steady relationships without having any type of contact except through the computer. But, wow, I mean, I think we learned a lot about how we can conduct our business. And, you know, I'm personally looking at it and thinking if we can save all that money that we used to spend on travel and focus that money in other areas in things that we want to grow or test or try out then um that's then that's a great thing that that's going to come out of this pandemic just to go down clark's path is that when you stare at zoom for eight hours a day literally your um, you need glasses eventually and your eyes begin to go i don't know that is happening to me too <laughs> honestly i feel like we all got to get back on the phone right and away from Hearing it <laughs> um, you know, what's interesting. I learned a lot that I think a lot of other people learn, like be nimble. Don't let all those like all those blockades seem to fall away in the sense of emergency. Right. Like be nimble, be quick, pivot fast. I, I used the word. I'm sorry. Pivot fast, even though everybody's tired of that word. Um, and always be moving, progressing, changing, looking for the next thing. And I think, you know, everybody learned coming out of this. Don't just do that in an emergency crisis. Figure that out. And we have, to Clark's point, we've embedded ideation into our roles. Um, but one of the things I think that's really interesting that I learned was, you know, I was, we were all quite kind of not questioning our model. We have unrestricted funds. So while major gifts go to a specific place and the marketplace is demanding, hey, I wanted, I want my money to fund this, we were looking at unrestricted funds and sort of thinking about that as the marketplace evolves. But really, I think what I learned through this whole thing is that is an excellent model. It is an excellent model around need. So if the need in the marketplace is right now that kids are suffering because of mental health, well, then those funds are unrestricted in the hospitals and they can divert some of the fundraising we do for them to that exact to that exact need and they can use it in those ways. If we're looking at, you know, health disparities in the marketplace and that's a problem, lots and lots and lots of our money goes to charitable care. So they can divert more to that if there is some need to make sure that people can or children, any any child, regardless of, of who they are, or where they come from or what they look like can get treated. And so it just reinforced with me this model. I was kind of not questioning a little bit, but just thinking through how are we going to do this as the marketplace and consumers demand that they put money in a certain place? How are we going to adapt our model? And the truth is, we don't need to because it that it's the beauty of that unrestricted funds that allows us to tackle everything that's happening, even in the marketplace as those conversations get loud. So I think I learned a lot about that through this because um, it sort of, you know, shine the light on different things. And we're, we're tackling all of that. And the hospitals can choose to do that 
with more or less of the dollars. I hope that makes sense. But that was a professional lesson for me beyond just sort of always be evolving and always be pushing. All right, last question for each of you. What are you most optimistic about moving forward? As we're starting to get out, are you both vaccinated? You guys are probably like 1A people. You were probably vaccinated a long time ago. Um, no, we don't actually work for the hospital. So we had to wait in line oh, that's with right. everybody else. And so um, it worked out just fine. I mean, I'm, I, I'm fully vaccinated at this point and um, I have some vacations planned. I have some couple of even work trips planned. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back out there. So, you know, I would say what I'm, I'm most optimistic about is I, I think the I think the recovery recovery is going to be much more quick than we thought it would be. Um, Originally, I know we had some partners who were thinking it was going to take three, four, five years for their business to get back to where it was pre-pandemic. We were looking at some models that had some pretty bad, uh, you know, uh, numbers for us for a few years. But the reality is, uh, I think it's um, it's bouncing back more quickly. I think um, our corporate support is strong. I think people through last year relied on companies and they they have a higher expectation of companies to now support their local community and and that's a good thing for us even though we've been doing it for a long time i think that the uh companies are realizing they need to they need to really take that uh, that trust and continue to earn it from their from their constituents and not just their customers but from their employees so uh businesses seem to be about rebounding our our fundraising seems to be rebounding um, we have an incredible staff who um, have really just gone above and beyond over the course of this last year to help us hold this all together. And I think we're starting to see some of that really hard work starting to pay off. Awesome. I love that. That means a lot coming from you, Clark, because, you know, you hold the keys to the kingdom. So it's nice to hear that you're feeling optimistic about businesses rebounding. How about you, Maureen? I think it's interesting, right, that uh, we've been saying from stages for years, Clark, you, me, Megan, every stage we've been on, um, you know, this is there's this thing called corporate social responsibility. And maybe you should be thinking about it uh, from a corporate standpoint, maybe not just compartmentalizing it in the foundation or in your community relations team. And whoa, did that (laughs) blow up through COVID, right? Like it is here and companies know that corporate social responsibility or ESG, or if they're attacking the UN sustainability goals, what, however they're measuring it or whatever they're calling it internally, it's a part of their being now, right? It's a part of their essence. And so I get really excited about that because I, I hear on all my um, conferences that I'm on marketing teams finally going, oh, me, oh, hold on a second. And so I think you're seeing this really great, smart, smart thinking from companies about integrating CSR into their DNA and who they are and who they're supporting and which which nonprofits make or causes make sense for that. So I think there's just nothing but opportunity from here out as business rebounds, as Clark said, and everything opens up. I think the opportunity to have like these more sophisticated conversations and not be sort of in that one-off kind of realm with a corporate partner is going to be so fun. So cool. We're having them. Our new business team is out and having those conversations and they just seem so much more um, multifaceted, integrated across all the different business units in the company. So how fun is that going to be? We are going to see some amazing partnerships out there in the future. And I think if nonprofits are ready to dig in and start pitching, they're going to see some amazing partnerships come out of that. 
Awesome. It is going to be so fun to watch. I think it's just testament to your efforts, Maureen, and all of those stages you've graced over the years. People have finally just stood up and listened to you. <laughs> well, thank you. I will take full credit for that as a, as a global entity that I... No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Oh, it's amazing. Well, Clark, Maureen, thank you so, so much for joining me on this episode of Cause Talk Radio. Where can people learn more about Children's Miracle Network Hospitals online if they'd like to do that? At cmnhospitals.org. That's the best place. You'll find out about us nationally and also about your local children's hospital. As always, a pleasure to catch up with both of you. And we will look forward to continuing the conversation and hearing more about your amazing corporate partnership work in the future. Thanks so much, Megan. We appreciate it. Thanks, Megan. 